morning, if you would, please. Second Kings and chapter 5. Second Kings chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honourable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valour, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he that is Naaman departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now, when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have sent there with Naaman my servant to thee, that he may recover him, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God? Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh and seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would bless and prosper our time in the word of God this morning. We thank you for the songs of praise whereby we can lift up our voice with rejoicing in reverence and fear that you are the true and the living God, that you are indeed a great king great in your love and in your mercy and compassion toward the children of men. Great is thy grace and great is thy salvation. Great is the goodness of God that leadeth us to repentance that we might know and trust and receive your Son, Jesus Christ. Great is your forgiveness to the children of men, for we are a sinful people, and without thy forgiveness we should surely perish and be lost eternally. Lord, I pray you bless our time and the word this morning. Encourage and strengthen our hearts, revive and refresh us. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name with thanksgiving. Amen. Please be seated. If you read through all of chapter 5 of 2 Kings, you find that the story revolves around this man Naaman who we are introduced to as being a great man with his master. He has been used as a deliverance for the nation of Israel. I don't know that Naaman actually gave praise to God, that God had used him to grant deliverance to Syria. 
which is probably a good passage to get a handle on because from time to time you get people ask you that question, you know, what about all the nations that don't know God? What about all the places where the gospel hasn't been? What about, what about, what about, what about? Well, if you understand anything of history, you'd realise that uh, most of these so-called nations of the world have had the gospel. Many nations in the Orient, many nations in, uh, throughout Asia, throughout the Arabic world, were among the first nations to have the message of the gospel brought to them. Uh, so they are without excuse. Uh, here we have one of the uh, age-old uh, uh, enemies of the nation of Israel, and yet the scripture testifies that God, the Lord God, gave deliverance to Syria. It doesn't, know, it doesn't tell us who they fought. It doesn't know who, who it was that came against them. Was it the Egyptians? Was it the Hittites? Was it the Amalekites? Was it the Amorites? I mean, you know, the Girgashites, the Jebusites. I mean, it doesn't tell us who. But they won. I mean, at the end of the day, isn't that the only thing that matters to some people? Who won? I mean, most people could tell you, you know, uh, uh, how many teams played in the competition in the, in the VFL in 1967. They'd say, well, you know, I don't know. I, I, how many teams do they have now? They have, what, 18 teams? I guess they have, what they have then? 18? No, no, they had 12 teams. And who won the most games? Well, it doesn't matter. Who won was Richmond. And the fact that Richmond won a premiership after a drought of many years, that's the only thing that matters. I mean, it doesn't matter. So who, what was the score? I don't care. I don't care if they won by 100 points, a million points or one point. The fact is they won. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter here who he beat. The fact is he beat. He won. He went out to the applause of the people and he came back to the cheer of the crowd because they were about to become the slaves of a foreign nation. But nobody said, praise God. Praise the Lord. You know, God's been good to you, Naaman. He was an honourable man. He's a great man in the eyes of the people. He's an honourable man with his mouth. The idea of honourable has the idea of somebody who plays within the rules. Somebody who understands. That would suggest to it that he is a very merciful man. You know, when it comes to warfare, the, um, for most people, no prisoners. No mercy, no pardon. When the battle's over, it's time to level the field. And we make sure that nobody lifts the hand up again against us. We make sure that we dispose of the opposition so completely, so comprehensively that we're not going to have a problem with them again for a very long time. He's a great man. He's popular. He's got prestige. He's got position. It says here that he is also a mighty man in valour. Wow. This boy's got courage. But notice there, despite all of the position and the prestige and the privilege and all the power that he's got, it says, but, but he was a leper. Now we understand this, leprosy in the concept of the Bible, A, it is used as a picture of sin. To the understanding of Bible times, uh, leprosy was to be cursed of God. For some reason God has ordained that this is your lot and this horrible disease will eventually take your life. 
It may start off in a seemingly harmless way with a blot on the skin somewhere, perhaps on the forehead, perhaps on the ears, uh, wherever. It may seem something quite harmless, but as it begins to spread, not so much externally, but internally, the hands will ultimately be curled up like chicken's feet, no longer having any flex in the fingers. Joints begin to lock up. A, a, a raging fever, a constant migraine, deep migraine type pain uh, in the head, constant aching joints. I mean, and there's, no, there's not a Panadol that's going to take care of this. Your doctor might prescribe something a little more, you know, powerful like some palaxia or something like that and tell you to take, you know, X amount a day, but it's not going to help. And ultimately, the the deadening of the nerves uh, results in all kinds of of, uh, infections from what are uh, simple wounds, simple damages, uh, cuts and scrapes on the body that get infected, but you don't even know it. No feeling in the feet, no feeling in the hands. That's why it's such a good picture of sin because it brings about this horrible insensitivity and it takes over the whole of the being. And for all of this man's fame and fortune, for all of the favour he has in the eyes of the king and the praise of the people, there wasn't a person on the planet that would swap places with him. He lived a good life, but he was a leper. And there is no hope for him. Just as there is for you and I, no hope unless God intercedes for our leprosy, for our sin. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift in that Jesus Christ has once suffered the just for the unjust delivered for our offences and raised again for our justification, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. He's the one who removes, who washes us through the blood of Christ and takes away the leprosy of sin in our life. Not just the, the presence of sin, but the very penalty of sin. And ultimately, as our dear brother has found today, from the very presence of sin. Praise God. But he was a leper, a man of power, captain of the host. He's the one who tells people, you go here and you do this. You go there and you do that. We had the old centurion in the Bible that understood the, what it was like to be a man of power. When they sent and said, you know, my servant is sick. You know, he's just say the word. He said, and Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion said, well, no, you don't need to come. I understand how this works. I say to one, go, and he goes, and this one, do it. You just need to say the word. And Jesus said, I have not seen so great a faith, no, not in all Israel. He's a man of power. Now, notice here in the second verse, though, it says the Syrians had gone out by companies. Who's in charge? Naaman. Naaman organises this. Since they've gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid. So we could read it like this, that, you know, somewhere along the line, Naaman saw this little girl in some little village somewhere in Israel and he sent his men just to get her. No, not like it. 
They've gone out in bands, plural. Instead of having a large-scale warfare and taking an army to one place, Naaman, in his wisdom and military might, has organised small raiding parties to go to various places and simply wreak havoc among all these people. And out of all this, we have people who have been put to the sword. They've gone and they've brought away spoil. They've gone and they've brought away prisoners. But they've gone and they've wreaked havoc and they've brought death into the, into the lands and the homes of multitudes of people and they've done it very successfully. And then lo and behold, they've brought away captive a little maid. If you and I were to look into what's called the Septuagint, that is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, we'd find that this word little maid is the same word that is used of uh, Jairus' daughter. Jairus had a daughter who was sick, who was dying and died, and Jesus raised her dead, and she was but 12 years old. So we're talking here about a pre-teen child, very likely. A child. And she hasn't come on a work program. She's not doing a tour of of Syria because she's got musical ability. She is a prisoner. She is a prisoner in the very home of the man responsible for where she is. Now, how do you feel about that? Think like a little girl. Come on, Ben, you can do it. I know, it can be done. Come on, Steve, you're with me yet, You know, I have a little girl. I'm now blessed with seven extra little girls, but my little girl, I understand little girls have big dreams. When when little girls have a rag doll, it's not a toy. It's a bambina. Right, brother? It it it's it's very real to them. I shared this with some folks. You know, when my little girl, Kezia, is down under this fantastic um, cubby house that I built up on stilts and put a sand pit underneath down by the mango tree, when she would go down there to play in the pen and she was fixing lunch for Daddy and would finally come and, and I'd be sitting in my study reading and she'd come and say, Daddy, lunch is ready. So, yes. Thank you. So we're off to have lunch. And so we go down and we sit on the side of the sand pit there and she's got her little plates. And you look at the plate and as a person, as a man, you just say, well, what have we got here? We've got some scrunched up dead mango leaves. We might have a dead bug that's been found somewhere. We've got some sand. We've got some little pieces of stone. And over here in the teapot, we've got some water. And we've got a little teacup and we're going to fill our little teacup from little teapot and then we sit there sipping our tea and pretending. Now, that's what I see. That's not what she sees. She sees this beautiful T-bone steak with a baked potato and corn on the cob and lashings of pepper sauce and everything else. And, and you know, it was years before I realised where did the water come from? You see, in our house, there's only two places you could get water because we turn the taps off tight. It either came from the dog's bowl, gets worse, or the toilet. I can't remember if the toilet water had a blue tinge to it. So I might have done the dog bowl, but it doesn't matter. But see, they dream big because this is, this is what life's going to be like one day. 
They're going to have their own home and they're going to have their own hubby and they're going to have, you know, when they're helping mummy clean house, it's because one day they will have house and they will have hubby and they will have bubby. And every, every child has dreams. But you understand when this man Naaman sent these men and they came to her village or her little town, when they took her away, they took away everything she ever hoped for. They took away every dream she could ever have. How would you feel toward him? I think it would be difficult to be in the same town, but to be in the actual home, in the same house, and I'm sure it's a nice house. In fact, next to the king's palace, it's probably the biggest and the best in in the land. And there she is, a slave girl. A child waiting on the conqueror and his wife. I'm sure there are other servants there and I don't know what their background was. They may have been captives too. But here the Spirit of God and the Word of God points out to us this one child. And then she says, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. What is that? I mean, seriously, just think, folks. If you were this child in this home, in this situation, you are a prisoner. We don't even know if her family's still alive. Maybe they were all put to the sword. How would you feel toward this man? Anger? Hatred? Wait. Maybe she's got the presence of mind to say, oh yeah, here I am in his home taking care of the little old lady uh, Brushing hair, serving meals, making beds, mopping and sweeping floors, cleaning windows. Every moment the mistress called, she came running. Because every time she came running might just bring with it an opportunity. Payback. Vengeance. Oh, Mr. Naaman, don't turn your back on me, not for one second. Because one of these days, it might be a year or two or ten or twenty, but I'm here and I'm watching and I'm waiting because I hate you. You took everything from me and I'll take your life. If it's the last thing I ever do in a rain of spears and swords from your miserable fighting men, I'll take your life. Be careful. I have no difficulty thinking like that. If you've ever been really hurt by people, betrayed by people, deceived by people, it's very easy to think in terms of wanting vengeance. This is not vengeance. What's this? But he was a leper. Maybe this little girl's thinking, this is strange, you know. 
They've got everything. The opulent life. I mean, look, look how good it is. They've got the best of everything. The most beautiful house, the finest of furniture. I mean, but this woman, the mistress, the, the lady of the house, what's wrong with her? She's miserable. She looks like she hasn't had a sleep for years. She's always weepy-eyed. Never smiles, never laughs. This lady's got some problems. So maybe in conversation she just mentions to somebody, maybe one of the older servants, what's going on? Why is she so miserable? Oh, didn't you know? Haven't you heard? Lord Naaman has leprosy. No. No. Leprosy. Yes, he's a leper. Oh. Yes. Oh, yeah. Praise God. Oh. No, I feel so much better now. I'll be the best servant this house has ever seen. Yes, Mr. Naaman. Yes, Mrs. Naaman. Yes, everybody. Whatever you want, anytime. Nothing's too hard. Nothing's too demanding. I will stay here. I will be your servant. I will stay here forever and ever. And I will cheerfully serve you so I can watch you rot. I want to see you suffer. I want to be there standing by when they're bathing your body, soaked in your sweat, writhing in pain, and I'll suppress my smile. But inside my heart will be singing. Payday someday. That's a real possibility, isn't it, Helga? We, sometimes people rub us the wrong way. We like to see them reap what they've sown. More than they've sown. This young girl says, Would God, my Lord, with the prophets in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. I'll put my cheetahs on for a sec to read my little list here because in the scripture, in the Old Testament, there are five cases of leprosy. There is Moses at the burning bush who was given a reminder of the power of God. Hand in the bosom, leprous. Hand back in, made whole. There's Miriam who was put without the camp with the blots of leprosy as a rebuke for opposing her brother Moses and his leadership. There is Naaman where we have this revelation of the power of God, not just toward Israel as a people. We sometimes forget that when Nicodemus was communing with Jesus, Nicodemus, as a staid, died-in-the-wool old Jewish leader, would believe that the Gentile world were all condemned and God would have no part of them. Maybe he hadn't read Second Kings where God delivered Syria by the hand of Naaman. So when Jesus said, God so loved the world, Nicodemus took a while to pick himself up off the floor because God don't love the world. God just loves Israel. That's it. Then we have also King uh, uh, Gehazi who got a real dose of, uh, a big dose of Naaman's leprosy because God was going to 
rearrange him and recompense him for his selfishness and greed. And then there was King Uzziah who was smitten with leprosy because of his rebellion. But let me tell you something, folks. Elisha never did one of them. So when this girl says, would God, my Lord, were with the prophet in Samaria, that he would recover, she is making a statement of fact. What she's saying is that God can heal this man. This God that you do not believe in, this God that you do not worship, this God that you do not serve, this God you want to know nothing about, this God of whose people you want to destroy off this planet, this same God, he could recover you from your leprosy. That's fact. He is the God of the impossible. We used to sing a little chorus in Sunday school, nothing is impossible when you put your trust in God. Nothing is impossible when you're trusting in the Lord. Hearken to the voice of God to thee. Is there anything too hard for me, God says. She obviously learned that song very early in life. She obviously understood that God is God. That not only can he speak things into being, not only can he uphold them by the very word of his power, but he rules and reigns over all of the heavens and over all the creatures of the earth. And at any time, God may put forth his hand to heal or to take life as he chooses. And as for God, the psalmist says, his way is perfect. He performeth the thing that is appointed for me, the psalmist said. Job understood that when he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Obviously, this young girl has some good home teaching. She might have been in Syria and a long way from home and a long way from family, but she didn't leave her faith behind. She still has confidence in the God of Israel. It's not only is this a statement of faith, but I see it as a statement of faith. It's not just a fact. But there's an element of faith here because there's no record of Elisha ever doing this. Now, there's a lot of different things that Elisha has done. Did he get that double portion of the spirit of Elijah that he had prayed for, that he'd asked for? Elisha, as a prophet, uh, did more miracles in the Old Testament than any other prophet. And yet he is not seen as the greatest of prophets. That title went to a man named John the Baptist. And yet the scripture says John did no miracle. So when you think in terms of miracles somehow or other authenticating someone, therefore the lack of miracles disauthenticates. So they, well, he obviously doesn't have, well, he have the greatest of prophets, didn't do any. What he did do was de- identify Christ, point people to the Saviour. Behold the Lamb of God. And we understand how clear his directions, how how costly his devotion. Ultimately, his love for Christ and his directions to Christ cost John the Baptist his life. But it didn't silence him. Someone has noticed that, you know, a lot of people keep their head, but they lose their voice. They keep their head, but they lose their voice. John lost his head, but kept his voice. And his testimony, his witness, his word 
of Christ abide still. We do well to ask ourselves, by way of revival, have I lost my voice? Because I wanted to keep my head. Didn't want to lose a friend, didn't want to lose an argument. But lost my voice. Kept my head. Not just a statement of fact and a statement of faith, but, you know, beloved, I see this as a statement of forgiveness. How could she, how could she care? Why should she care about this man? This man who took so much from her. You can continue reading on in chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Nowhere did we ever hear that this little girl got taken home. Thanks for the miracle. Thanks for the blessing. We'll take you back home to mum and dad. None happened. But forgiving. Now, let me point out, this little girl doesn't have the life of Christ to learn from. Or she may have been in the company of godly parents. She might have come from a godly heritage. She may be well grounded in the law of the Lord, understanding that the basic concept of the law, the major precepts are to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, and to love thy neighbour. And she wasn't some Pharisee or lawyer who said, who's my neighbour? Huh? I can't do good to anybody if I don't know who they are. She seemed to understand. No New Testament. No mention of the Spirit of God. You know, in the Old Testament, as you're reading through, from time to time when some event is going to happen, we have the Spirit of God comes upon people, comes upon these tradesmen to empower them to do the, the work of making things in the tabernacle. Spirit of God comes upon Gideon to empower him to go to war. Spirit of God comes upon young King Saul and he sounds the trumpet and he calls them to war. And 330,000 men responded. The Spirit of God comes upon David. And the Spirit of God comes upon various of the prophets and prophetesses. There's no mention the Spirit of God came upon this girl to give her a spirit of forgiveness. She just did it. How do you do that? How do you care about someone who has hurt you? It's spiritual. It's not a race thing. It's not an education thing. It's not a culture. This is, this is a spiritual truth. A spiritual truth that ought to be lived in our lives. Let me, let me leave this passage for a moment. Let me ask you, who hurt you? Let's put our little thinking caps on. And ask yourselves, when we look back over the last year, or even back over the last years, who hurt you? Who done you wrong? Well, here in the state of Victoria, Chairman Dan would have to be on the list of just about everybody on the planet. People have lost businesses. 
families have been ripped apart through the anxiety and the struggle. And it's not done yet. End of February, the honeymoon is over. So what honeymoon? All these low interest mortgages, they have their expiry date. Most of them will expire at the end of February this year. So people who are buying a home, young couples, not so young couples, who are still paying two and two and a half percent, are going to be facing six and a half, seven percent. They're going to see their mortgage payments go from two thousand to four thousand to five thousand. Now, if you're one of those happy people making three hundred thousand dollars a year, and you know you still got a little bit on the side that you're not telling the tax man about, you'll probably do all right. But for the average Aussie, a lot of people are going to go down. Would that make you angry? So who hurts you? Someone in the family? An old friend? We've all got a Judas somewhere in our history. Someone who betrayed us. Somebody who knifed us. Someone who gave us the old etu brute treatment when we least expected it. What do we do with them? We wait, we wait, we watch, we pray. (coughs) Stick with the watching. We watch, we wait, and one of these days, pow, right in the kisser. You little sweetie, payday someday, baby. Is that the attitude? Is that the attitude that honours and glorifies God? I am a firm believer that there is a spirit of bitterness that has its roots in unforgiving that hinders multitudes of God's children. I'm talking about the lost. I'm not talking about people who don't know Christ. People who don't know Christ don't know how to deal with these things. They have psychiatrists that charge them 500 bucks a half hour to sit on their couch and you sing like a canary to them and go away ready for the next 500 in a month's time. And they're absolutely nothing for you. And they'll give you all kinds of grand suggestions and pop you full of potions and pills. Maybe even tell you to change your gender or whatever it is and that'll sort you right out. But here is the greatest tool in the arsenal of every child of God is to forgive. Forgive, forgive. Look over here for a moment in Matthew and chapter 18. Matthew 18, we have here what is called the parable of the unforgiving or the unmerciful servant. In this parable, the Lord tells of a certain man who was owed a great, who owed a great amount to the king when he was no longer able to when he was unable to pay his lord commanded that he be sold and his wife and his children all that he had and he fell down and worshiped and prayed him saying lord have patience with me and i will pay thee all in verse 27 and the lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt 
But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Now, his fellow servants went and told the king. Verse 32 says, Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. Simple story. Someone who has a great debt, can't pay, about to be sold into his slavery, and not just he, but his wife and his children. He's losing everything, and yet the Lord moved with compassion. This man offered a solution to the problem that he could never, ever fulfil. He said, have patience with me and I'll pay thee all. Not going to happen. It's such a huge debt. It's like if you send me a bill for $10 million, I'll say, would you just give me time? Well, if you're going to live to be 969 like Methuselah, you might get close to halfway, but that's about it. Not happening. This man was forgiven such a great debt and yet he would not forgive nor extend grace and patience toward this other man. Now, that's the parable, but look at the application The application is in verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Who hurt you? Who did you wrong? In Titus chapter 3, one of the descriptions that is made of us when we are still dead and lost in our sin is that we are hurtful and being hurt. What does that mean? It means hurtful means full of hurt. Our lives are filled with hurt. People hurt us. People fail us. People let us down. People, yes, betray us. People use us. And it hurts. And it hurts. Now, you might think I'm just talking about parenting, but I'm not. Folks, the reality is, so shall my father. He delivered this unforgiving servant to the tormentors until he should pay all. The application says, so shall my father do to you, the tormentors. Was someone going to crash through your front door and take you out and, and you know, chain you to a rack and stretch you until you're seven foot tall? Start lopping off toes? Removing fingernails? Waterboarding? I mean, the guilt. The guilt that torments because we know this is not right. When I'm a child of God in my heart, in my mind, in my soul, this is not right. It's not right for me to have a grudge. It's not right for me to be angry and bitter towards somebody who maybe, just maybe, yeah, did it on purpose, but maybe 99% of the time did it in ignorance. 
Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. We don't forgive the tormentors, the guilt, the anger, the bitterness. They begin to consume us. They eat away at us. We find no joy. We can be having a wonderful time and the moment that man, that woman, that person walks in the room, it just disappears. And as long as they're on the planet, we will never have a moment of joy again because every time they are within striking distance, we remember it all. And we churn it over in our heart and our mind and we get angry and we get bitter and we're unforgiving and we're a prisoner. Amazingly, Corrie Ten Boom said, when one forgives, two people are set free. The offender and the offended. God's people ought to be experts in the field of forgiveness. You know one of the real problems with our lack of forgiving, with our anger, maybe even our anger toward God? You did this to me! God doesn't need our forgiveness. We need his forgiveness. We need to put the hands up and say, Lord, I I, I was wrong. Well, this is sinful. This is selfish. This is fleshy. This is not right. This is wrong. The psalmist understood and he said, Come near, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he had done for my soul. If I regard iniquity in mine heart, the Lord will not hear me, but verily God hath heard me. But notice how he says, if, I regard, if I've got this sin in my life, this anger, this bitterness, this unforgiving, God says, I will not hear you. We think we can storm heaven with our prayers. We think the grace of God just erases the sin that's in my life and I can just storm on in to the throne of grace and God better be tuned in. But the Almighty says, I will not hear thee. Again, the question is, who hurt you? Have you forgiven them? Sometimes it's not possible to go to the person But forgiveness is an issue of the heart. Forgiveness is not about the words you spoke or the place you went. Forgiveness is an issue of the heart. You forgive those who have hurt you. But there's another side to it, is there not? Who'd you hurt? Hurtful and hurting one another. We hurt others. Do we need forgiveness? If we're aware of it, we need forgiveness. We need to ask the Lord to cleanse us. You know, one of the great promises of the Bible, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is not about our relationship with God. This is about our fellowship with God. This is one of the great keys to revival is that you and I become clean vessels in the hands of the living God. That because we are washed from our filthiness, we are clean from our sin, we now become channels of blessing. Our prayers are not hindered. Our walk is what it ought to be. 
Our witness is where it ought to be. And that exalts Christ. That brings glory to God. And when we are where we should be, things start to fall in place with our witness. Our words now have power to them that they were lacking before because we think when we're not forgiving people, nobody notices. The reality is when you and I have that root of bitterness and unforgiveness, it's walking around looking like, a, a, like the light on a taxi cab and the sign says, unclean, unclean, unclean. I'm hopping mad at this person because she did this to me and he did that to them and I'm taking up not just offences to me, I take on offences for others. We pick up teams. Whose side are you on? You know, when, we, when somebody rubs us the wrong way, if someone does us wrong, we don't go to them and say, listen, we need to talk about this. No, 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 no. I go to Helga and I say, Helga, do you know what he did to me? She says, well, that's terrible. And then she goes to Ruth and she says, Ruth, did you hear what this person did to brother? No, not brother Chris. He's such a nice guy. Nobody could ever dislike him. He's a great guy. And everybody said, nah, nah. Because we heard the story from the other person. Oh, did you hear what brother Chris did to him? Really? Well, all right. The schism, the division. It's there in the book of Corinthians chapter 1. All the fighting about pick your favourite preacher, pick a gift, pick a, uh, you, where are you with your morality or immorality and, and you know people taking each other to court and all kinds. The place was an absolute mess. The first Baptist church at Corinth, what a mess. Oh, but the power of forgiveness, the power of a forgiving heart to give it to the Lord I said, Lord, I'll, I'll let you deal with this. I say to my son all the time, yeah, I'm going to have to let the Lord deal with this because if I deal with it, I'm going to jail. Give, give it to the Lord. If we would be revived, we need to give the things that are, are, are gnawing on us, things that are frustrating us, things that are angerous, things that we have this spirit of unforgiveness. We need to ask the Lord for forgiveness. We need to simply ask the Lord, Lord, cleanse me. Cleanse me. Search my heart. Try my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. Cleanse me of my sin. We'll see this little girl in heaven one day. As with many of the great heroes of the Bible, no name. She enters into the chamber of my Lord and simply says, Glorifying God. And we don't hear from her again. But she was there as Esther for such a time as this. Right on time. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the wonderful witness of this young child. Leaving us without excuse. Whatever hurts and struggles we have, for many of us, they pale in significance to the loss that this young child endured and yet, and yet was a faithful witness for thee. 
Oh, how great the power of forgiveness is. To be able to forgive one another, to love one another, to care about one another. That even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. That's the standard. That's the measure. It's not what was done. It's not who did it. But the measure is, what has Christ done for us? Lord, I pray that each and every one here this day would know the joy and the peace that comes with your forgiveness of our sin when we trust and receive your Son, Jesus Christ, as Saviour. And also, Lord, that we might know the joy of being restored to a right fellowship with thee by confessing and forsaking our sin, by forgiving those who have hurt us and seeking forgiveness from those that we have hurt. Lord, I pray you do a work in our hearts today and that you be glorified in our obedience. Lord, I pray in these few quiet moments you would speak to hearts, firstly of that need of your forgiveness. Oh, to know the forgiveness of the true and the living God, to know that our sins are forgiven, and in such knowing we now have a home in heaven, we have the promise of the Son of God that we're passed from death into life everlasting and shall not come into condemnation. Lord, we have so much to be truly thankful for. And so we ask that you would speak to hearts this morning of the need of trusting Christ as Saviour. And for those of your own children here who may even now be wrestling and struggling with this need of forgiveness, to either give it or to receive it. Lord, do a work in our hearts. If we've been hurt, may we, Lord, seek your face and ask you to empower and enable us to from the heart forgive and put aside any desire for revenge, for payback, and simply put it into your hands knowing that your way is perfect. With our heads bowed, can I ask you this morning, my friend, do you know Jesus Christ as your saviour? Do you know that you've been born again of the Spirit of God? Do you, are you saved? Do you know Christ? If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Saviour, I'd like to pray for you this morning. Man, woman, boy, girl, young or old. If you have never trusted and received Jesus Christ by faith as your Saviour, and you would like to do that this morning, that you might know experience and enjoy knowing you have God's forgiveness. Could I pray for you, my friend? If that's your need this morning, would you just quietly slip up your hand before we close in prayer this morning? I'm not going to come after you or point you out. I'd just like to pray for you. Say, preacher, I need to be saved. I need to trust Christ. Would you please pray for me this morning? Could I pray for you, my friend? Anyone at all? Just put your hand up and put it back down we might pray for you this morning. You would say, well, Brother Chris, I thank God I'm saved, but I must confess that I'm struggling with some hurts in my life and I need God to help me to forgive. 
Well, the power is there, just as it was in the presence of the unbelieving scribes and Pharisees. The scripture says the power of the Lord was there to heal them. And the power of the Lord is here, my friend, to allow you to forgive what seems to be unforgivable. But you'll have to acknowledge it. You'll have to admit it. You'd have to confess it. If you're struggling this morning, the need of forgiving, could I pray for you that you would do business with God this morning as we close in prayer? Say, Lord, help me to forgive. Give me the grace I need to forgive. Say, Brother Chris, would you pray for me this morning? I'm struggling with forgiving. Would you please pray for me? Anyone at all? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Many hands. Praise God. Say, Brother Chris, would you remember me in prayer? This is a real struggle for me. Truth is, all of God's children, this may be one of the biggest struggles we ever have. Our biggest fight won't be with the world and won't be with the devil. It'll be with our own fleshly desires. And one of those is always the vindictive spirit, the bitter spirit, the unforgiving spirit. Now, Heavenly Father, thank you for the hearts you've spoken to of your own children this morning. Lord, give us the victory. Everything we need you have already provided by the indwelling of the Spirit of God within this vessel that you own, this life that you have redeemed and paid for. May we yield ourselves to thee. May we forgive from the heart and not bring it back to account. Give us grace, Lord. Give us strength and by your mercy prevail. We continue to pray for those that do not know Christ, that you do a work in their hearts also that they might be saved. Now, Father, be glorified in our obedience to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Number 166.